Um, let me ask you a question. Anybody ever had really good news that you were just dying to share? I mean, really. Think about it just a minute. I'm sure you have. Maybe it was about an upcoming marriage. You know, you're about to get married and you want to tell everybody about it. Maybe it was a new baby that's on the way and you just die and you can't wait to tell anybody about it. Or maybe it's a new job, a promotion that you got, something happening in your life. And, and it's just in you and you just can't wait to share it. And the good news is you can share it. The bad news is not yet. You ever been there where it's just like... Uh, can't say anything yet and then it gets even <clears throat> harder because it's just kind of building up and building up and you just want to share it did you know sharing good news is a good thing really <clears throat> matter of fact it was interesting to me I saw read an article this week that said that a German university had done a study <clears throat> and in the study they checked people within, with social media and they discovered this they discovered that when people read social media 64% said that reading a positive good news article impacted their life that day. That doesn't surprise me much. Don't we all kind of like to hear good news? I mean, would you rather hear good news or bad news? I mean, sometimes, uh, sometimes on, on newscast we only get bad news, and sometimes we need some good news. I was glad to see that study because, frankly, it gave me a little confidence because my wife and I, you know, sometimes we have this discussion, discussion like this. <clears throat> There's this movie comes out that she may want to see, and I'm like, isn't that one of those movies where they say, great movie, just bring the Kleenex with you? You know what I'm talking about? One of those movies that, hey, it's a great movie, but just bring your handkerchief with you. My response to that is, no. I, I'm not, good movie, handkerchief, tearjerker, good movie just doesn't come together in my mind. I tell her all the time, I say, you know what, I get enough bad news and tears in real life, I don't need to go to a movie theater and see them. And all the men said, Huh, thank you. I'm glad I'm not alone. Those of you that said something are just brave. <laughs> but anyway, we like to hear good news. <clears throat> Have you ever thought about this? What about in our spiritual lives? Don't we like to hear good news in our spiritual lives? Sometimes we get discouraged. <clears throat> Sometimes we get downtrodden. Sometimes downright depressed. Seems like everything is going bad. Don't we like to hear some good news? I think it's a little of both. Good news is good to hear. Good news is good to share. Every now and then, we need to share it. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> some of you know that in the Old Testament, they have this group of people called prophets. Maybe you've heard about that. Now, prophets were not just people. Sometimes we get the idea, wrong idea about prophets. Prophets in the Scripture are not talking about people who foretell the future although they do that occasionally. But did you know the main job of a prophet was not so much to foretell the future as to foretell, tell forth, the Word of God. You see, most of the time, a prophet was telling something that God had placed in his heart to tell. <clears throat> often it was good news, often it was bad news, but the bad news always became good news because God was speaking. But he placed this message within the prophet. As a matter of fact, the very word prophet that we call prophet <clears throat> comes from a Hebrew term. Remember the Old Testament's written in Hebrew. It comes from a Hebrew term meaning 
to spring up as an artesian well. <clears throat> okay? Now we get that around here because we have springs, right? And we like to see that spring bubbling up. If the river's low, you even see it in the river, right? You can see the river, the, the spring flowing up, bubbling up. Why? Because that water is gushing out and has to find a place to go. The idea was that's a prophet. A prophet is someone who God has given a message <clears throat> that just bubbles up until it spews out. Now guess what? I believe that's true about all of us in our spiritual lives. You may not consider yourself a prophet. You may not consider yourself a preacher. You may not consider yourself a teacher. <clears throat> but I know this. Every one of us who are followers of Christ and who have come to faith in Christ have good news that is bubbling in our soul. It really is. When you know, when you come to understand <clears throat> the good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ lived and that he died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he rose again, even as the scripture said. And when you come to understand that Jesus Christ died for our sins so that we might have eternal life in heaven whatever for him, that he might forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness, guess what? That is good news. And I don't know about you, but there are times I find that just bubbling in my heart. I just got to get it out. Well, I'm here to say it's good to know that people respond well to good news. And if we can find that good news, if we can share that good news, it's a good thing. Anybody have any good news to share? I'm pretty sure if we stopped long enough, <clears throat> we would come up with it, we would find it, and we would want to declare it. Actually, I think I understand the scripture because frankly, it happens to me every week. I know sometimes you wonder about what I do all week. You know, my grandkids, like they say, gee, daddy, what do you do all week? You know, I know what you do on Sunday. What do you do the rest of the week? Well, uh, you don't want to know. But anyway, the rest of the week sometimes is just getting this message deep in my heart. And guess what? When it gets in there, if you think you have a hard time dealing with it for 30 minutes on a Sunday morning, I got to deal with it all week long. And sometimes it's just bubbling, bubbling, and bubbling in my heart like that of teaching well. And sometimes on Sunday, I get a little bit excited here because it just has to bubble out. You know what I'm saying? But guess what? You have that same passion. Now, maybe you don't want to share it that much. Maybe you don't want to talk about it, but you got that passion when you understand the power of Christ at work in your heart and what Jesus means. Well, I say all that to say this. <clears throat> We're talking about next steps, right? We've been talking about chapter 2 in our lives. How it is that we come to faith in Christ, that's chapter 1, and, and we come to the fact that we're ready for Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. And we have this life-changing experience with Christ. And then we have to realize that's not the end. It's just the beginning. It's really just chapter 1. And chapter 2 is when we begin to live out the lives that Christ has for us. When we begin to grow and mature in our faith. And we begin to learn how to walk with him and to talk with him. And so the point of this series has been to talk about what's next. What's my next step in my faith journey? Now the interesting thing, and maybe the challenging thing for me here, is that when I look across the room, I realize that we got all kind of different people in different steps in the journey, right? I mean, there are some who are taking first steps, baby steps. And then there are some who are taking uh, teenage steps. And then there are some who are taking adult steps. And some who are really mature in Christ and who are walking in a closest with him. 
But I want to talk about those very early steps. What do we do? What's chapter 2 in our lives and where does it go? Now, for our study, for our guide, we've been using the life of Paul. You remember Paul? Paul is an apostle, um, and, and, and he was an apostle who made an impact on Christianity, an impact upon the world. Some have called him the greatest Christian that ever lived. Now, I don't know how we determine that. I'm not sure that we can determine that, but I know this. Paul was a follower of Christ who made a difference in his community and in his world. And so I think he's a good guy to look at to see what steps did he take. We know about his conversion experience. What did he do after he met Jesus on a road? So we've been looking at Acts chapter 9. I want to turn there. Acts chapter 9, if you have your Bible and want to follow along, or maybe you have it on your phone or your tablet, that's okay. It'll be up here on the screen too so that you can follow in any way you want to. But I encourage you to follow along so that you can read it and hear and watch what Saul does. Verse 18 is where we start. It says, At once something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Now you recall that he tells us earlier in chapter 9 that when he was on this road to Damascus with a mission in mind, he met Jesus. He saw Jesus for the first time. And it was such an incredible experience that it blinded him. But he was told to go to a certain place and meet a certain man and a certain thing would be happen and he would be told what he should do next. So what does he do? Well, let's read it. It says, again, verse um, 18, he says, Then he got up, right? At once something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Two weeks ago we said, one of the early steps of faith, one of the early steps in our faith journey needs to be baptism. Baptism is not something that just happens to kids. Baptism is not something that is just optional for us or something we can take or not take. Baptism is a very important step of obedience. And so he says first, he got up and was baptized. Look on, verse 19. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with, his, with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Second thing he did was joined himself to a group of disciples. He joined himself to some other Christ followers. He came to understand, I don't need to try to do this journey on my own. I need other people, right? And I know AJ talked with you guys about that last week and talked about the importance of getting connected with other people. We don't have to be an island in our faith. Other people are here to help. It's a good thing to get connected in church, to get connected in a small group, to get connected in a ministry team, to get connected with other people who can help us on this journey of faith. But now, what do you do next? Look at the next verse. It says, um, uh, verse, uh, where are, am I? Uh, verse, 20, verse 20. Immediately, after that, immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. So there's step three. First step, he was baptized. Second step, he joined himself to other Christians, to other believers. Third step, he began immediately proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, here's the thing I want you to see. It's incredibly important for us, we who are followers of Christ, to understand that one of the early steps of obedience and one of the steps that follow us the rest of our Christian life is telling people about our story. In fact, here's the big idea. Here's what I really want you to see out of all this today. I want you to see that your first step, can y'all roll that up for me, please? 
Your next step, where you're going next, your next step is telling others about your first step. Your next step is telling others about your first step. It's critically important. Why? Because there needs to be a passion that bubbles in us. There needs to be a passion that bubbles up in us that we can't help it. It's just going to come out. We need to understand the importance of telling our story. You say, well, why is it important? It's important for several reasons. It's important, first of all, because you've been called. It's, you, it's, it's our duty as a sin. It's what we should do, but more importantly, it's what we do out of a response to what God's done in our heart. Now, I know that you're thinking, well, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a teacher. In fact, I'm not even a good talker. I don't think that I can do that. Now, I understand that. It comes harder for some than others, I think. Because some of us, some of you, you just are talkers. And you can just talk about anything. Whatever it is, the subject, you can just talk, 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 talk. And you have no problem with it. Others are shy and timid. And you'd rather somebody else talk. I get that. I'm going to say something that you're not going to believe. You're going to think I'm not telling you the truth. But you just ask my wife. After the service, she'll tell you that it's true. That is this. By nature, I am very shy, timid, and would rather be quiet. You're like, I don't believe that. Well, you should. I mean, I understand. God has called me to do what I do, and he's equipped me to do what I do. But it's not natural. By nature, I'd rather somebody else do the talking. I'd rather just listen. I'm quiet. And sometimes I'm shy and intimidated. I understand that. But I know this. When the passion, when good news is bubbling in my heart, i got to find a way to share it. And if I can't do it by talking, I'm going to try to do it some other way. Uh, you know what? That's one of the wonderful graces of social media we have today. Today, and so through social media, we have the opportunity to share good news and bless people with that good news. It bubbles up inside of us. And you say, but how do I do that? I don't even know how to start. I don't even know where to start. Well, that's where I want to take you to today. I want to show you today how Paul lived this out in his life. I want to show you how he approached sharing the good news of the gospel that was in his heart. And it's so simple that by the end of this time, I'm telling you, you will know how to share your story. So plain, so simple that anybody, any of us in this room can do it. Now, go now to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26 is where we see Paul giving us an example of what I'm talking about. In Acts 26, he's going to tell his story. And I want you to notice, well, a little bit about his story, but more importantly, I want to tell you how he shares his story. Now, the setting is a little different. The setting is this. Paul, as we know him, he's also called Saul in his early days. That's his Hebrew name. Paul is his Roman name, right? Early days, he was known as Saul because he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, we read. Later, he was known by Paul, his Roman name, because he was reaching into Europe. He was reaching into Asia. He was reaching into places we know now like Turkey and Greece. And, and so he took on that name. So it's going to be called both, but it's the same guy. And what we see is he's now on trial, okay? He's on trial before a man named King Agrippa. 
King Agrippa. He's on his way to Rome to stand trial before Caesar. Now what's interesting to me is he wants to go to Caesar and he wants to stand trial. Why would he want that? Because he had this burning in his heart, this bubbling in his soul, this message that was such good news, he wanted everybody to know about it. And what better place to use as a platform than the center of the known world, Rome. He wants to go to Rome. He's already been arrested for false charges, really. He says, I want to stand before Caesar. And as a Roman citizen, he had that right. Well, on his way, he faced this king, Agrippa. And Agrippa wants to hear Paul's story. So he brings Paul before him, and he says, Okay, sir, I want to hear your story. I, I know you're going to Caesar. I know what you're here for. I want to hear your story. And so Paul begins to tell it. Look beginning with verse 4 at what he says. He divides it, by the way, brilliantly into two sections. First of all, his life before he knew Christ, chapter 1, and how he came to experience Christ. And then he turns the page to chapter 2 and starts talking about his life after coming to Christ. Now, let me show you. Look beginning in verse 4. <clears throat> Paul is speaking. All the Jews know my way of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own people and in Jerusalem. You see how he's taken them all the way back to his early days. Verse 5. They have known me for a long time. If they're willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. Notice the past tense. I was a Pharisee. Later when he wrote to the Philippians, he said, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. In other words, he had climbed the religious chart. He had climbed to be a religious elite. And he says, that's where I was. I was acting as a Pharisee. Verse 6, now I stand on trial because of the hope in what God promised to our ancestors. The promise of our 12 tribes hope to reach as they earnestly serve him night and day. King Agrippa, I'm being accused by the Jews because of this hope. In other words, he's saying, King, I'm here, believe it or not, because I'm simply preaching about the Messiah, the Christ, who was promised to our people. But unfortunately, the story made some people mad. Look at verse 8. Why do any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? In fact, I myself was convinced that it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I actually did this in Jerusalem and I locked up many of the saints in prison since I had received authority from, that, uh, from the chief priest. When they were put to death, I was in agreement against them. <sighs> many people believe that the person mentioned in Acts, when Stephen is stoned, for you Bible scholars, many people believe that the person who was standing there was Saul, approving the death of Stephen. He says, verse 11, in all the synagogues, I often punished them and tried to make them blaspheme. Since I was terribly enraged at them, I pursued them even to the foreign cities. So Paul says to this King Agrippa, he says, here's my story. My story is I was, a, I was raised a Jew. I was raised as a, as a proponent of Judaism. I believed in it so much that I was willing to defend it. I was willing, in fact, to fight for it. In fact, I hated these new people, these followers of the way, these followers of Jesus. I hated them so much, I was glad to put them into jail and even stand by as they were stoned. What he's saying is, 
I wasn't just, I wasn't just a, some, an, an agnostic who didn't care. I, was, I, wasn't as, I wasn't an atheist who didn't believe. He said, I was literally anti-Jesus. I didn't want any part of him. I didn't want any part of his message. And I wanted, to, I wanted to torture anybody who was. I wanted to stamp it out. I, I wasn't just standing by watching. I was trying to end this nonsense about a man being resurrected. He was anti-Christ, anti-Jesus. <clears throat> but then something happened. And notice he changes the story. He moves now, and he says, Now, this is what I was. This is what was happening in me. But then something happened. <clears throat> Look with me at verse number, uh, number 12. He says, So I was traveling to Damascus. That's Syria, right? I was on the road to Damascus under these circumstances with authority and a commission from the chief priest. In other words, I'm headed to Damascus to persecute Christians up there. By now, the Christians had been running from Paul. They'd been running from Saul, trying to find, uh, they'd spread. Remember? Remember how the story, I know some of it may be new to you, but some of you remember how the early church came to faith and then they were scattered because of the faith. Why? Because Paul was chasing them. <laughs> and he says, I went to Damascus. I was going to track some of them down. Verse 13, King Agrippa, while on the road at midday, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun, shining around me and those traveling with me. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice speaking to me in Aramaic. Saul, Saul. Listen, you know some of you, that, that's written in red. You know what that means. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus is speaking to him. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I asked, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul says, I'm on this road, king. And this is not going to make sense to you, but I'm going to tell you exactly what happened. How many times have you thought that? If I tell people exactly what happened, they're going to think I'm crazy. Lost my head. Lost my mind. But Paul says, here's exactly what happened. I'm on the road to Damascus. It's midday, brightest part of the day, and I see a light. And that light is so bright that it blinds me. And I fall to my knees. And everybody with me falls to the knees. And then I hear something. I hear a voice. I know. Sounds crazy. I hear a voice. And this voice speaks to me and calls me by name. And offers me a fresh start and a whole new mission. Calls me to follow the Christ that I'm there to persecute. And then even worse than that, to tell everybody about my story. Wow. You know what I love about that? That is so much like us, isn't it? If you're here today and you know Christ as your Savior, you know that is so much like you. Because guess what? At some point in your life, whenever it was that you met Jesus face to face, you saw something and you heard something. You saw something because your eyes were open. Something that was there all along 
but you saw it. I remember when that happened to me, even though it was, wow, probably longer ago than most of you are old. But I remember it well. And when I tell you about it, you're going to look at me and say, I think you're crazy. <laughs> it's okay. I can't help it because it still bubbles in my soul. I mean, with me, I had been going to church all my life. In fact, I tell people I went to church nine months before I was born. You know, I mean, my mom, and, my mom and dad just didn't miss. And so I grew up with people telling me about Jesus and telling me the story about Jesus. But at one point in my life, I saw it. I saw it totally different. At one point, it was no longer just a cute story about a baby in straw. At one point, it was not just an amazing story about a man who walked on water. At one point, it wasn't just a, a, a tested story, a, a sweet story about a man who died for others. At some point, I saw it. That this man is Jesus, God, who offered himself as a sacrifice for my sins, who paid my sin debt, who took the punishment of God upon my sins for me. When I saw that, everything changed. And then, oh, I hate to tell you this, you're going to lock me up. I heard him. I heard something. What'd you hear? <laughs> Did anybody else hear it? No. It wasn't audible. But if somebody told me later, it wasn't audible, but it was louder than that. <laughs> I mean, I knew. I knew that there was this voice in me. There was something in me saying, give your life to me and follow me. Let me lead you on a journey called faith. And I accepted that challenge. And I bowed my heart and my life to Jesus Christ and made him my Lord and Savior. And I've been on this faith journey ever since. That was chapter one. And now chapter two, years later, I'm still saying, what's the next step? What's the next step? I took that step of baptism. I took that step of uniting with other believers. I took this step of talking to people about what happened to me. And the next, the next, but I'm still asking, I'm still asking, what's the next step? I don't want to quit on this journey. You know what else this Paul said? He wrote to the church at Philippians, the Philippi, and he said this. He said, you must forget the things which are behind and press forward to the things that are ahead. Pressing toward the mark for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not sure if I even understand what that upward call is, but I want to be there. And I want to be pressing. I want to be striving. The word in the Greek, remember the New Testament is written in Greek. The word in the Greek for press there is agonizai. Sound familiar? We get our word agonize. Paul says, I'm agonizing. I'm straining with everything I have to press toward that upward call. You know what I determined a long time ago? I don't want to limp across the finish line. I want to sprint. I remember when I was running more often than I do now, when I was learning how to run for races, I remember how every time I would work out, my workout buddy would say, sprint the last little bit. Train your body, don't quit when it gets tired. Press. That's what Paul's saying. Press the journey. Continues, And then here's something else I learned. There, there's something bubbling in me that I have to let out. So Paul says, I heard something, I saw something, and everything changed. Jesus spoke to me, and he gave me a new heart, a new start, and a new mission. 
Suddenly, instead, I'm going to Damascus to persecute and tear down the church, and I leave Damascus with the journey of building up the church. Wow. Can I just say God does that in our lives? He just totally changes things. He totally gives us a new mission. And can I just tell you something? Don't be surprised when God speaks. He's going to make you real uncomfortable because he's going to say, I want you to do something that only I can do in your life. Well, i got to move on. Look at the next thing I notice. He says in verse 19, he turns the page. Chapter 2. He says, So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Instead... I preached to those in Damascus first. Do you hear that? I proclaimed, I preached the same idea as the Hebrew prophet. I finally had a chance that what was bubbling inside of me could come out, this good news of the gospel. I finally began to preach. And he says to those in Jerusalem, that is the ones close to me, the region of Judea and Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works worthy of repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and were trying to kill me. And to this very day, I have had help from God. And I stand both to testify to small and great, saying nothing other than what the prophets and Moses said would take place, that Messiah should suffer. And that as the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to our people and to the Gentiles. In other words, he said, so since I've met this Jesus, everything's changed. Let me tell you about my life and how God has helped me and how it has all become about me telling others about my first step of faith. I think what I'm trying to say is this is important stuff. That we learn that part of our journey of faith is sharing about our faith. One of the important steps in our journey is to learn to share step one in our journey. And I think if I had something to take away today, maybe this would be the takeaway. Maybe this would be what I would say to you, and that's this. Sharing your story can help others take their first step. I know that's true. You don't think so. I know you're thinking, not me, my little old story. I'm telling you. When you share your story, you help others take their first step of faith. Somebody's waiting to hear from you. You see, some people, yeah, they want to hear a preacher, but you know what? They think I'm just shooting the breeze. They think I'm up here just doing what I'm supposed to do. It's Sunday. It's my job. That's what I do. But there's power when you, at school, in the workplace, around the Thanksgiving table, wherever it is, when you tell people your story, it's like E.F. Hutton speaking. They listen. Really? You say, well, I just don't know how to do that. It is so simple. I'm going to give you, I, I got a couple of minutes. I'm going to give you how to do it. And it's going to be so simple. Everyone in this building, from the youngest in this building to the oldest, can do what I'm about to tell you to do. It's just a matter of the will. If you want to, you can learn how to tell your story. And it's simple as following Paul's example. All you have to do is do what he did. Well, I'm not an apostle. I know, I know, I know. I'm not a preacher. I know, I know, I know. I'm not a teacher. I know, I know, I'm not a communicator. I know, I know, I know. It doesn't matter. You got a story. Now, here's what I like about telling your story, and then I'm going to give you how to do it. 
Can I give you the why first? Here's why your story is so important, telling your story is so important. First of all, you don't have to be a theologian to tell your story. Okay? Because some of you, I know you're saying, oh, I'd like to tell people about what happened to me, but I'm just not a theologian. And I don't know much theology, and I'm, I'm afraid uh, you know, I'll say something wrong, and I'm afraid that, that they'll be able to debate me. And well, hold on, hold on. You don't have to be a, theology, uh, a theologian to tell your story. As a matter of fact, I don't even think you have to understand everything that happened to you. Can I just say this? And maybe I better back up and hide behind something when I say this. And hope you don't, uh, hope you don't mislove your preacher. You, you got to love me. That's, the Bible commands you to, so I'm going to go ahead and say it. Guess what? <laughs> if I had to understand everything I say to you on Sunday, it would take me about two minutes. I don't understand a lot of this. I don't understand how God can be loving and full of grace and yet full of truth. I don't understand how, how all this stuff works. I don't understand everything that there is to be in theology. And oh, by the way, if you stand up and say, well, I can teach you and I'll tell you, I'm going to question whether or not you understand how to live by faith. No, there's things we don't understand. You don't have to be a theologian. Here's the second thing I like about telling your story. Now, get, get a hold of this. When you tell your story... Nobody can debate the truth of that. Right? I mean, I know what you're thinking. I don't want to tell anybody about Jesus because they might get into a debate and they might, they might ask me questions I can't answer and they may, they may question what this happened and they're going to think if I say I heard God speak to me, that I hear voices or, or, or how can I see? I, I can't even explain it. They're going to debate. Listen carefully. Somebody can argue theology with you, but they can't argue your story. Somebody can argue theology with me, and they might, they, they probably win. AJ knows. I'm not really much of a theologian. I'm not much of a debater. That's what I mean by that. All of us are theologians. I shouldn't probably say that that way. I'm not a debater. I'm more of a peacemaker. I'm probably going to just drop out of the debate if you start debating me. But I'll tell you this. While you might debate my theology, you don't stand a chance debating my experience with God because I know what happened I was there and it was so real that all these years later I still remember it I still know it I know God spoke to my heart I know God showed himself to me I know I, what I understood and I know the difference that it made in my life so build you a story tell your story you say how, how, how I got two minutes here it is, very simply. First of all, all you have to do is talk about your life before Jesus. What was your life like before Christ? Paul told him what his life was like. I know what mine was like. What was yours like? What was your life? But maybe like Paul, you were just anti-Jesus. Maybe like Paul, you were like, I'm just against anything you church people are for. You Christians are for. Maybe it was more of an maybe it was more of a I just don't really care attitude, more of an agnostic feel approach. I don't know. Where were you? Maybe you were an addict. Maybe not. Maybe you were stooped in terrible sin. Maybe you even are you such a sinner that you're like, I don't know how God could ever I don't know how many times people have told me, Preacher, you don't understand what I've done. God can't forgive me. To which I respond. The Bible says God can forgive us of all sin. A-L-L. -L. All means all, and that's all that all means. 
Maybe some of you are like, oh, you don't know what I've done. It's been so horrible and somehow hard. Or, or you know what? There's some people who say to me, you know what? My life was before Jesus. I was really religious. I was a pretty good person. I didn't do anything wrong. But then I came to understand that I'm still a sinner. <laughs> and I still need the grace of God at work in my life. I don't know. My life before Jesus. Write that down. Secondly, here's your second point. I had a life-changing experience. In other words, tell them how you met Jesus. How did you come to know Christ? Were you sitting in a church service and, the whole, and, and God spoke to you in a church service? Were you sitting on the side of your bed with your parents? Were you, were you in a coffee shop with a friend? There's no one way. There's no cookie-cutter method. It is that moment when you gave your heart and life to Jesus Christ. And he became your Savior and your Lord. And I'm pretty sure you remember that. Maybe not all the details. But you remember that. Third, tell them what your life is like since meeting Jesus. What's my life like now? What difference has Jesus made in my life? Now, if you can't hit that third one, you might want to backtrack and take a look at the second one. Because I'm just here to tell you, when you give your heart, your life to Christ, and he, he becomes your Savior and your Lord, He changes things. He gives you a new heart and a new start and a new mission. Now, you may be still discovering those baby steps, there's a change. Something's different. I can tell you for a fact, I know that had Jesus not come into my life and changed my heart, I would not be sitting up here this morning. I don't know exactly what I'd be doing, but it wouldn't be this. I'd do this because he changed my heart and he gave me a mission and he put this spring in my heart that just bubbles up and I can't wait to get here on Sunday to let it bubble out and frankly if it don't I'm miserable and so is my bride because she's got to hear it <laughs> it's got to come have you started telling your story that's how to do it I challenge you to try it this week. Pray with me, would you? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. I thank you that you are a God of grace and glory, a God of grace and truth, a holy God who hates sin and must punishment, punish it, and yet a loving God who's made provision for our sin. I thank you for the day that you opened my eyes and ears to see and to hear the gospel good news that Jesus died so that I could have eternal life. Thank you for challenging me and calling me, oh God, to give my life to you, to surrender completely to you. And thank you for your faithfulness these 50 plus years. I'm still amazed when I stand in your presence. I'm still amazed at the spring that bubbles in my heart. 
I'm still amazed at the good news of the gospel. I pray for each one here this morning, God, that you'd speak to every heart.